Good morning, everyone. This is the DOLW3 podcast. This is July 5th, a day after our Independence Day that we celebrated yesterday, July 5th, 2022. I'm going to start off today with the um, a prayer for our nation. Almighty God, bless our nation and make it true to the ideas of freedom, justice, and brotherhood. Guard us from war, from the fire and wind, from compromise, fear, and confusion. Be close to our president and our statesmen. Give them vision and courage as they ponder decisions affecting peace and the future of the world. Make me more deeply aware of my heritage, realizing not only my rights, but also my duties and responsibilities as a citizen. Make this magnificent land and all its people know clearly your will, that we may fulfill the destiny ordained for us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And as I said, we are the DOLW Podcast 3, and we are a watcher group in the Diocese of Lansing. And what we do is we uh, we are a voice for, for um, the unheard voices in the Catholic Church. You know, you may be a, you may be a Catholic who has left the church for various reasons, um, we ask that instead of leaving the church, go back to the church. Receive the Eucharist. Receive Jesus in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And, and join us in, in making God's church a more robust place. A place where Jesus isn't dying to get out. Well, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, our Pope said the other day... Uh, in one of his talks, um, you know, that uh, the things that are going on right now in the church, it's it's like Jesus is wanting out, you know, that we're trapping him inside things that um, are not good. The Pope tells us, bother your pastors, disturb your pastors, all of us pastors, so that we will give you the milk of grace, of doctrine, and of guidance. So with those thoughts and with the theme of freedom, Okay, so, you know, we all say, yeah, you know, in America we have freedom. We can be free to do whatever we want. We can kill babies. We can uh, go and have sex with whomever we want and um, really not have any responsibilities. If we get pregnant, we can go kill our babies. So, you know, I have to question, and, and I question in my heart, and I know this is a big controversy, and, you know, no one should be talking about it, but I think everyone should be talking about it. Yes. We do have a right to choose. Absolutely, we have a right to choose. But we can choose error, and we can choose um, what is right, what is morally right. Um, So, you know, we talk about a woman's right for abortion, you know, that it's our body, that, you know, um, because it's our body, we we can kill babies if we've gone out and had sex and uh, we decide we don't want it. It's an inconvenient time. Um, Mother Teresa tells us, and I think she says it best, she says, um, it's a travesty that a baby should die so that you can live as you choose. So I want to read a little bit from our Catechism of the Catholic Church, My Catholic Faith, by Louise Livore Morrow. This is on page 11. I'm going to start on page 10, though. I I thought this was... uh, 
pretty good here. In creating us, God gave us the power and right to choose which path we should follow in life, either the path of obedience or the path of disobedience to his commandments. The first seems wearisome and full of thorns, but reward comes in the end, happiness with God. The second seems full of pleasures and roses, but punishment awaits the traveler at the end, eternal damnation in hell. Each must choose for himself. We may find the choice a hard struggle. We shall be strengthened in the choice of the difficult path if we remember that we belong to God, and that he loves us, and that he will help us, and is waiting for us at the end of the road of obedience. You know, all these things come to light, you know, and I'm thinking of my own self and, you know, my struggles throughout my life and the choices I've made, the choices sometimes good, sometimes bad, and, and having to live with them. And um, choosing the road to follow God came really a, a lot later in life for me. Not that God, I didn't always believe there was a God, but I all, and I always believed he was looking out for me, but he let me fall. And, um, and scratch myself and bruise myself and um, you know um, people suffered because of it others around me my family members suffered because of some of my choices so um, with that and you know with becoming more prayerful and getting closer to God um, and him calling me to this ministry oh yes the Lord has called me this is not something I do very easily um, for those of you who know me, I'm, I'm generally a shy person. I don't uh, often uh, like to speak to, you know, uh, things like this, things that um, provoke or cause um, others to get upset, you know. But working with the Lord and, and having him call me, um, how do I know he called me? Because uh, of what he called me to. Um, you know, sometimes the Lord calls us to things that we're like, why me, Lord? You know, you look at, um, you know, you look at different figures in the Bible who, who are the smallest, the readiest, you know, the weakest, um, and yet yeah, God calls them. Uh, and and, uh, and some of them, some of us are reluctant. I would say that I've been reluctant, but yet I know that God wants me to do this. And I do it with great love, and I do it with obedience even though it's not easy. And so um, I'm going to continue reading here on page 11. Who are those that advocate no study of religion? Those that advocate no study of religion are generally termed free thinkers, agnostics, skeptics, and rationalists. These thinkers claim that all problems can be solved by the use of the intellect alone, without necessity of any principle, law, dogma, or authority. Freedom of thought has a pleasant sound, but it is against reason. By it, the mind is fettered by error. We submit our minds freely to natural and scientific truths. That is true freedom. If there is no freedom of thought in mathematics, why is there, why in religion? Freedom of thought and it is evidently a contradiction. We are not free to think what is not the truth. There are fundamental laws that bind the intellect. Again, I bring up um, what we're going through right now in society, you know, the overturn of Roe versus Wade. 
you know, and, and, and what I hear and what I see is, um, you know, everybody's speaking for the rights of women, you know, to, to do as, you know, they see fit with their bodies, you know, but yet, you know, you can go out and have sex. And then in the same turn, if you're pregnant, you can get rid of that baby as if no responsibility whatsoever. And so I think the key to what I'm trying to say and what God is impressing upon me is our freedom has responsibilities. And with that, we have duties to those responsibilities. So without, the, without that, freedom isn't really free. Um, and we'll continue to see um, all of these things in, um, in our society. I was reading from Hosea today, and I am going to read that to you. I wasn't going to, but I think I am because it, it ties in so nicely to, um, you know, our Lord letting us choose freedoms, but also, you know, we pay the consequences. Okay, so um, continue on here. Freedom of thought is evidently a contradiction. We are not free to think what is not truth. There are fundamental laws that bind the intellect. For instance, we are free to believe that the sun revolves around the earth, even if it appears to do so. The intelligent man, in order to attain the kind of freedom humanly possible, should find out to which authority he must submit. He must discover which is the law, and this is why the rational man studies religion, to find out this fundamental law. You can't very well study um, just books and in universities and just study, study books about mathematics and uh, English and all of those things and not see how religion is so intertwined and how God is so in with us. You know, and in our own, um, our priest brought up Yesterday in his homily, uh, we had a mass for um, Independence Day for the 4th of July, you know, and, 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 the, and the one thing, you know, one nation under God. You know, these men got together and put together, um, you know, our whole, um, the way we are to be and how we are to handle our freedoms, and that's why we have the Constitution. And when we go back to the Constitution, the thought that went into it, and so many things this, these days, we want, we want our freedoms, but we want them without being subject to anything, um, any laws, and, um, any of those kinds of things. So I'm not going to get into talking to too much more about that, but you know, just to think about freedom with your responsibilities to it. What are our responsibilities? to not just ourselves, because we are, we are born and we are in communities. What is, what is our responsibility to our communities, to our nation, and to God? We are one nation under God. Okay, I'm going to read from Hosea uh, chapter 4. Okay, hear the word of the Lord, Israelites, for the Lord has a dispute with the inhabitants of the land. There is no fidelity, no loyalty, no knowledge of God in the land. Swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery break out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land dries up, and everything that dwells in it languishes. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea perish. You know, that uh, speaks so much to what we're seeing today. You know, let's look. Let's look at, um, I said today on the news, that weekly 
we are having outbreaks of gunfire into crowds. You know, yesterday there was uh, on the 4th of July, a man in, or someone in Chicago was in a building and shot into the crowds and, and I believe it was six people died and one of them was a, a young child. You know, so we see this bloodshed and we're all, you know, just, when is it gonna happen next? Where are we safe? You know, I think Hosea is speaking to these kinds of things then and we see now, you know. So um, along with that, I'm gonna read from our, the book we have been reading from, for those of you who have not followed me, we've been reading from the book, The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality and the Roman Catholic Church. We're in volume four, The Homosexual Network in the American Hierarchy and Religious Orders by Randy Ingalls. Um, you know, again, with considering, um, you know, having freedoms, being priests, being bishops uh, in the Catholic Church, they come with responsibility. They come with duties, you know, and we cannot run around, as we see in the Bible, you know, all throughout the uh, Old Testament and on into the New Testament, you know, we are, we are human beings, you know, we can be trapped by our lusts for sex and power and money and all those things. And we see it, which we think are good men. And, uh, um, but, but you have your Hoseas, your prophets, your um, small people that come out and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is going on and this isn't good. So um, I want to read from page 942. We are like, again, in the rite of sodomy and um, reading from the chapter on homosexuality in the religious orders. And um, just I bid you to think about how uh, things that are go on in the church, you know, when you see, see decay in the church, you also see decay in the society. And, and I think God is calling the lay people we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so um, we do have a say and we do have a voice and we want you to use your voice, to use your voice to, um, to help make the church what Jesus intends it to be. The Lavender Mafia in the Dominican Order. <clears throat> On February 25th, <coughs> excuse me, Ash Wednesday, 1998, Father Timothy Radcliffe, O.P., the Master General of the Dominican Order, issued a Lenten letter titled, The Promise of Life. From his residence at the Dominican Covenant of Santa Sabrina in Rome, having carefully followed the pattern of homosexual colonization of the Dominican Order in the United States for more than 20 years, this writer was curious to see if Father Radcliffe would discuss the issue of gay religious in his letter to his Dominican brothers worldwide. He did both directly and indirectly. Radcliffe's first reference to homosexuality was an indirect one on the subject of celibacy. He chose a quotation from American Dominican Donald Gorgian. Celibacy does not witness to anything, but celibates do. We witness to the kingdom if we are seen to be people whose chastity liberates us for life. It is strange that all of the Dominicans that Radcliffe could have quoted on celibacy, he chose Donald Gorgon, a religious whose public and private life, as we shall see, has been distinguished by an open and long-term advocacy and financial support of clerical homosexuality. Why Gorgon? 
The answer lies in the second of Gorgon's quotes cited by Radcliffe in The Promise of Life, wherein Gorgon espouses the familiar liberal litany, if I partake of consumer society, defend capitalism, tolerate machismo, believe that Western society is superior to others, and am, and am sexually abstinent, I am simply witnessing to that for which we stand. Capitalism, sexism, Western arrogance, and sexual abstinence. The latter is hardly deeply meaningful and understandably questioned. For many bishops and religious superiors like Radcliffe, a seminarian, a seminarian's or priest's homosexual activities and advocacy can be overlooked as long as the offending priest adheres to the gospel of liberalism. It is not until their diocese or religious order is hit with catastrophic lawsuits related to the criminal sexual abuse of underage young boys and young men, including seminarians and religious novices, that the former give a second thought to the policy of ordaining homosexuals to the priesthood and religious life. However, in the case of Radcliffe, it appears that the pressure of pederast lawsuits against offending Dominicans worldwide had not yet reached critical mass in 1998. Indeed, in the paragraph titled Communities of Hope, just preceding his statements, statement on the acceptance of homosexual candidates into the order, the Master, Master General stated, our communities must be places in which there is no accusation. The accuser of our brethren is cast forth. Apoch 12.10, that's in parens. The position of this paragraph just before Radcliffe's support for homosexual seminarians, brothers and priests, leads one to interpret his comment as warning against in-house whistleblowers who reveal clerical sexual misconduct and criminal acts by their fellow, fellow Dominicans to superiors or public authorities and law enforcement offers, officers. Just want to stop here for a minute and just, uh, why am I reading this? How come I'm reading this to you? Um, I'm reading this to you because I love my faith. I love our faith. It's not my faith. It's our faith. And uh, it's important that these kind of things are known, that we don't keep burying our heads and watch our church decay. That it's important, um, you know, I believe for our parishes, for our churches, for our bishops to help them out, to help the Pope out. Um, when he is asking and pleading for us to wake up in the pews and help, um, these are not things that are that are easily done. These are it's hard to um, read these things to you all and um, and not feel like oh my gosh I you know I don't want to hurt the church. I love the church and what I want to do is I want to see her grow and see her become the body of Christ as so intended that it resembles Christ. But with the sex and the lusts and the money, you know, laundry, all these things that have been going on. And then to have these books shelved, I believe this was a 17-year effort on her part. And like I said, this is a five-volume book, and I highly recommend Catholics out there to read it. Not in disgust, but in love for what can we do to uphold her? What can we do to build her? You know, um, in Carmel, as a Carmelite, uh, we, we, uh, we try to evoke love wherever we're at. Um, we try to see God in each and every person that we meet in a day. 
And so um, I'm, I'm reminded of um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, and she told us, you know, when you study her or you go went to her, you know, ministry, and uh, some people went there to uh, to learn more about her and her ways, she always told you to come back into your own Calcutta. We walk in our own Calcuttas every day in my neighborhood. Every day there's someone who is so sad, and all it needs maybe is a smile. So with that, evoking love for God's church, evoking love um, for all the people, even the wrongdoers. You know, we are to love our enemies. Loving our enemies does not mean, you know, we go up and kiss and hug them, but that we um, we tell them the truth. You know, as a good friend would tell a good friend, uh, you know, a friend that you love, you would tell them the truth, even if it's hard, even if it's hard to say to your friend that, you know, when you do this, this, this is not good, um, and here's why. Uh, it goes along with um, our freedoms, you know, uh, in this, you know, um, we say we have independence and we're free. We are free with responsibilities and duties. Without them, without, you know, expanding on truth and what is valuable, um, we are nothing. So it's important to speak and it's important to um, study, study your religion, Study your faith. If, you're, if you've left the church, uh, I highly recommend getting in just a simple um, catechism of the Catholic Church that we grew up on. Um, so revealing how important those, this book is, oh, I don't know, maybe 1963, maybe before then. Maybe it's late, early, earlier 60s. But at the same time, um, how the truths are. The truths remain truth and how important they are, and maybe just refreshing your memory on what, what are we are to do. Okay, what we are obligated to do. Dominican order accepts homosexuals. In this opening statement on community and sexual orientation, Father Radcliffe began with the statement that various cultures react differently to the admission of people of homosexual orientation to, to religious life, with some holding it to be virtually unthinkable, while others accept it without question. What cultures outside of ancient cults that practiced certain pagan rites or followed Gnostic doctrines accepted without question men who unnaturally lust after other men? The Master General does not tell us. Even if such a culture existed in modern times, why would its beliefs influence the, the universal head of the Dominican order whose sole concern one would think would be what Christ, his saints, including St. Dominic and his church, teaches on the matter of homosexuality? And that teaching is clear from the time of the apostles until today. For a man to lust after another man is not only sinful, it is also perverse. To act upon these unnatural desires is an abomination in the eyes of God. And there again, remind yourself of responsibility and duties. Sometimes it's, we just can't lust after what we're inclined to do. Sometimes, it, you know, we have to look, we look to God. And when there is no God, um, as we're beginning to see more and more in our nation, we're seeing worse and worse things happen. You know, we're accepting, just like in the Old Testament, everything that comes along. I suggest you read your Bible. 
Okay. In any case, Radcliffe used his Lenten message to inform his fellow Dominicans that one's sexual orientation is not important in evaluating a candidate's suitability for religious life. It is not for us to tell, to tell God whom he may or may not call to religious life, he said. And besides, he added, the general chapter of Kaluga, after much debate, affirmed that the same demands of chastity apply to the all-brethren of whether sexual orientation, and so no one can be excluded on this ground. So, I had to take a drink, guys. <clears throat> the actual text from the Acts of the General Chapter of Definitors of the Order of Friars Preachers meeting from July 17th to August 8th, 1995 at Calaruga, Spain, the birthplace of St. Dominic, reads, As a radical demand, the vow of chastity is equally binding on homosexuals and heterosexuals. Hence, no sexual orientation is a priori incompatible with the call to chastity and the fraternal life. The above reference to sexual orientation is an extremely sophisticated turn of words that leaves the door open for les lesbianism, transvestitism, transsexualism, pederasty, pedophilia, sadomasochism, and other sexual perversions. The fact, the fact that the worldwide Dominican leadership permitted such a statement to be incorporated into an official pronouncement of the order demonstrates in a concrete manner the degree to which the Dominicans are now controlled by the homosexualists and their minions. Radcliffe concluded his segment on sexual orientation with words of compassion for his Dominican hetero or homosexual brethren. However, he warned that the emergence of any subgroups within a community based on sexual orientation would be highly divisive and it would threaten the unity of the community and make it harder for the brethren to practice the chastity that he has vowed. Overall, the official views on the acceptance of homosexuals to holy orders expressed by Master General Radcliffe and as promulgated at the 1995 Caluruga meeting represent a radical departure from traditional church teachings on the necessity of the scrupulous screening and vetting of candidates for the priesthood or religious life. What happens when this tradition of wisdom is tossed out the window can be seen in the battle for River Forest. We continue on here. We're on page 944. The fall of Ferryville. In the mid-20th century, the Dominican Priory, of St. Dominic and St. Thomas in River Forest, Illinois, was a world leader in Thomanistic philosophy and theology. Its growing enrollment of candidates seeking admission to the Dominican order was such that in the early 1950s, part of the order's theological faculties were moved to Dubuque, Iowa. The magnific magnificent St. Rose of Lima Priory and Seminary in Dubuque that housed the Aquinas Institute of Theology was completed in 1956. It sat just across the road from the Provincial Seminary of Mount St. Bernard, operated by the Archdiocese of Dubuque. St. Rose housed more than 200 seminarians and 50 junior priests. The Priory 
and seminary were the pride and glory of the Dominican order. By the late 1960s, however, the Dominican seminary had become the Ferryville of Iowa and the laughingstock of the Dominican order. The problem? Rampant homosexuality combined with post-conciliar modernism and leftist political activism. This was the evaluation of Father Charles Corcoran, OP, from the River Forest Priory. Father Corcoran ostensibly came to teach at St. Rose Priory as professor of theology and philosophy at Aquinas Institute at the request of the provincial superior, Father Gilbert Graham, in 1966. In actuality, Corcoran, who held a doctorate in psychology, had been asked to come to St. Rose to see if anything could be done about the homosexual problem and related issues that threatened the existence of the seminary. Corcoran was joined by another Dominican who unfortunately was of little help, as he himself was a closeted homosexual. In 1967, the Most Reverend Father Enchetto Fernandez Alonso, the Dominican Master General in Rome, made a formal visitation to St. Rose. Father Fernandez met with Father Cochran, who advised the Master General of the problems of St. Rose and named the ringleaders. Father Fernandez gave Father Graham the order to clean house beginning with the removal of two professors from the faculty known to be closely connected to the homosexual clique at the seminary. However, when Father Graham tried to remove the offending professors, the entire faculty threatened to resign en masse. The Master General's orders were never carried out and conditions at the seminary continued to deteriorate. St. Rose was not the only seminary having a problem with homosexuality. Mount St. Bernard Seminary, which served all of the Diocese of Iowa, Iowa, was forced to close its doors in 1969. Fifteen years after it had been built, due largely to conditions of moral turpitude, the philosophy at the time was once the vice took hold in a seminary, you simply closed the doors and sent everyone home. There were, of course, other ongoing problems at St. Rose. During the post-Vatican II era, there was a general purge of Orthodox Dominicans from the Aquinas Institute. Traditional-minded candidates for the priesthood were either turned away or became so disillusioned with the homosexual milieu at the seminary that they quit. Finally, in July 1981, the entire Dominican operation at St. Rose and its Aquinas Institute in Dubuque was shut down, and the Aquinas Institute was moved to St. Louis University in Missouri, operated by the Jesuits. The dislodged homosexual clique from St. Rose turned their sights northeast to River Forest, as Father Cochran had predicted 10 years prior. By 1985, the clique was powerful enough to engineer the election of one of its own, Donald Gorgon, as provincial of the central province of St. Albert, the Great in Chicago. So we're gonna end here, we're on page 945, and uh, I just wanna say to you all, thank you for listening. Um, In God we trust, Uh, he has a message here, it needs to come out, and um, he's, he's chosen me as one of the 
people to speak. So I still go, oh my goodness, you know. So at any rate, I am glad to do the Lord's work. And uh, we need your help. We need your voice. We need your thoughts. Um, God needs you. God needs your voice. God wants you to stand up and speak about these things. You know, in the decay going on in the nation, all the things we're seeing, the bloodshed, the, the bloodshed in America that, you know, is becoming commonplace weekly um, shows um, as the church is, has decayed, you know, we're struggling. Our uh, priest at Mass the other day told us that um, that there are no new seminaries, and I forget which parish it was in. I, I can't, I mean, which diocese it was in. But there are no new seminarians coming um, coming on board for this. So there's no priests uh, for this. And I might be saying this wrong. There's no priests for this school and this parish. And um, God has not given me the mind for, to remember every name that comes across. But just know that the bottom line is, and we're seeing it everywhere, is that there are not enough priests as far as um, in, in these Western states. Uh, there are priests in the Philippines. There are priests everywhere. you know. And maybe we need to start reaching our hands out to them and bringing them over here and, um, and, and filling our priesthood maybe with uh, uh, something that God wants. We don't know. We, you know. But we know there are options. There are options to bring other priests in. And uh, if I'm wrong, tell me so. So with that, uh, let's say a prayer, okay? In, in the, the mindset of freedom, of what God means by freedom, you know, our freedom to choose, um, you know, and if we follow the laws of God and, uh, and are obedient and want to grow in holiness. That's the one thing he wants from all of us is to just talk to him every day in our prayers, to become more holy, to cleave to him and let him be our guide. So we ask this day, Lord, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. God bless you. And we are, Lord, one nation under God. And uh, we ask that you lift us up this day. Um, as we say, um, on all of our money, Lord, we say, in God we trust. And we do, Lord. Be with our leaders to stay. Be with all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.